This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 beer and brewing enthusiasts worldwide. The AHA publishes Zymergy Magazine, hosts the National Homebrew Competition and Homebrew Con, and equips members with brewing tips, proven recipes, and money-saving deals on beer, food, and brewing supplies. Founded in 1978, the AHA remains true to founder Charlie Papazian's timeless advice, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. Celebrate beer and homebrewing with the AHA at homebrewersassociation.org. Hey everybody, it's John Hall and I am in Calgary. And you might be uh, asking yourself as to why. And I'll tell you, it's the Alberta Small Brewers Conference. It's the second annual one uh, because this province here in Canada has actually become uh, a a real exciting place for brewing. It's it's catching up with the rest of the country. There's a lot of enthusiasm that's going on here right now. And so I came to check it out. And I'm very excited that I have Greg Zeschuk from Blind Enthusiasm Brewing here, uh, one of the newer breweries to open up uh, in this general area. And first of all, thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Let's just start off with, tell me a little bit about the brewery. Um, our brewery, we really are, we're really two breweries in a sense. One is um, a brew pub, pretty standard brew pub brewery, uh, in a, and we have, a, we have a very high-end restaurant, so we actually have a European bistro-style restaurant that um, sort of sharing plates, really not your typical brewery food. And, um, the, and the, we have beer that pairs that. So our, our brewers you know, have a lot of style doing European, or a lot of experience doing European style. So we do, we do, we call like style agnostic. We actually don't list styles. We, we, we focus on like flavor profiles and how we describe our beers, which, which is always interesting conversation with folks. Once they get it, they like it. And, and, and the food is really, it's really made to pair um, uh, the beer and food pair together. Lower ABV beers, like not a lot of stuff over six um, because we're like, you know, want flavors that go well with what we're, what we're uh, eating. So, and how long has the brewery been around? We've been around seven months, and that's, that's one of them. So the other one is a dedicated all-wood, sour, you know, mixed fermentation, spontaneous fermentation brewery that's four blocks away in the industrial zone. So we have the, the dream of being in a neighborhood brew pub and four, four block, ten-minute walk to our, our uh, sort of our mad laboratory we call the monolith. That's the other brewery. So I have to, I have to apologize because I, I keep... I'm so entrenched in the U.S. beer scene yeah. that I forget sometimes what uh, what else is happening in in, in other countries. Yeah. And coming here, where you know the U.S., like nobody would think about opening up a brew pub right now, or very few people in the U.S. would think about opening a brew pub. But here, it makes sense, right? Yeah, we're, I, I I kind of been joking to folks like I've lived in the U.S. and mm-hmm. I've been in, lived in Austin for a while and other places. And then what's interesting is we are in like in, we're in a time capsule here. Like in Edmonton, there were like three breweries when I was opening. It's a city of a million people, so. <laughs> You have the like. We're actually playing a game of catch up, and it's and here in Calgary, it's happened incredibly quickly. Where you know there was four or five, and now we're at twenty five. Yeah. The next the end of year thirty five. So Calgary's catching up. Edmonton or caught up. Edmonton's catching up. But yeah, we have the opportunity. And second, um, you know, for us, the the, the, the brew pub focus. And, and it, yeah, I always say it's much much more than a typical brew pub. But it's it's a fine like casual fine dining restaurant with beer. And that's actually it's more what we're trying to do is push the envelope of. 
a place that people go, wow, this is a place where I can learn about beer, see how it goes with food. Like, for example, we're having a beer and cheese pairing on this coming Sunday. It's a mm-hmm. ticketed event that, you know, we're, our head brewer and our head chef are talking about cheeses and, like, doing a presentation, and people are trying a bunch of stuff. So very, very different than the typical brew pub. But honestly, other guys are doing it, and it's a good time to do it here for us. Because of the education component. Yeah, yeah. It gets people through the door. I mean, in the yeah. early days of the you know American beer renaissance, uh, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, people had to open brew pubs because they needed the restaurant component yeah. to make money. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the only way that they could sell beer is by selling food. Yeah. Is it similar? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's similar. I think we still, I mean, also we have we have a pretty vigorous beer market for retail sales and everything else. So I think there's, there's you don't need it. Um, but it's it's nice. I mean, it, it, it adds a whole level of complexity. <laughs> that's for sure. Like yeah. it's, it's way more complex to have a restaurant operating. And my our breweries inter interspersed. So um, we've got like the brew houses in the front around, um, uh, and, the, and the and seats are all around it. And then there's the we have actually five serving tanks behind the bar, like big brights, like. 10 hectoliters, so eight barrel. And then, then there's a kitchen, and then behind that is the fermentation. So we actually hard pipe over the kitchen to shift beer around to the serving tanks and from the brew house. So it's kind of like, it's, uh, it's complex, but it's, it, it works. It's working for us. When you say that you're style agnostic, I, I kind of like that, because I've been on the record that's saying, like, we've lost our way with styles, and that styles don't actually exist anymore, uh, or nobody follows them anyway. Oh, yeah. It's like, so I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a certified BJCB judge, so I know, okay. I know my styles, you know? Like, then again, I don't, because like you said, because it's kind of gotten ridiculous. And, and, I mean, the looseness of something like a Saison, you know, you can call almost anything a Saison now, For right? sure. Like, I mean, we probably hop them a little higher than they used to, but... Yeah, it's and it's gotten kind of silly, like, and that's why we kind of go. Well, no, it's a it's a big roasty, you know, light, lightly hopped, you know, very dry beer. You know, like it's and and you know our customers. It's interesting because our customers, we, we do get a lot of regulars in the neighborhood. They're getting it. They know what they like, um, and they're starting to go with it. But it's like when we go to sell to people, for example, we do some limited retail sales of kegs and stuff. And first thing is what style it is, and then, they, and then we go, oh, there's no style. Right. And then and then. That used to be also an excuse not to make good beer. So, like, historically, like, you know, if, oh, it doesn't follow any style, and it's just a mishmash mess. Yeah. But um, instead, we're just, I mean, our biggest thing is we mix ingredients. We're, we do a lot of old world, new world. So, in other words, we have a lot of, almost all our beers are, like, we have some sorts, like, straight American hopped beers, but half our beers are American hops and German hops or American hops and French hops. So, it's kind of an interesting, um, we, just, we just like to, we like to push the envelope and just try different things more than anything. When, when you're pushing an envelope and you don't actually know, or you're not you're not going to say this is going to be our IPA, or this is going to be our imperial yeah, stout, yeah. this is going to be our saison, or if, if you're not saying that, how do you know when the beer is ready? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Well, and actually, we, we have a little game we play with that. Is we don't actually name our beers. Our beers are three word acronym or three letter acronyms like WPS, uh, which would be. Uh, that one doesn't actually have. That one actually means, that one means whoops, <laughs> okay. which which actually literally it was. We have one. An, another one is Deb, um, and 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 another one is Zest. And Zest turned into Zesty Z, which is like our. It's a wheat beer, like largely German influenced, um, very light. But um, we we sort of like. We, when we sit down to make a beer, like I remember there's one called Bro, which again, that's it. It's, it's probably called Bro because it's brownish okay. in color. But with like the Rob and Doug, the head brewers, we all sat down. They go, hey, Greg, you like chocolatey beers? I go, yeah, really chocolatey. How about some dark fruit behind it? Sounds awesome. We'll make one. And then they made one. And then and then we actually, you know, with per batch, between batches, we try the first one and go, hey, this one, a little more fruit. We dial up the fruit. Oh, too much fruit. A little more chocolate. Then batch three is, you know, it, it's literally... 
and that's and then we actually put version numbers on our menu like version 1 1.1 1.1 or 1.2 right and then when you finalize it we ideally are gonna put the full name but I kind of think the full name for bro will be bro but um, but it's but you know and I think it's fun because I think we have a like and that's the thing about brewing if you have a vision of what you're trying to achieve you have to you have to express it really clearly um, otherwise yeah you don't know when you got there that's a great great question so it's interesting though that you're, you sort of build because it I think there's some folks who open up today and they'll say, okay, I've been a homebrewer forever, or I've been perfecting this recipe, like here it is, it's done, it's now, it's ready for the world. Um, there, there's gotta be a little bit of nervousness though, right? When you when you put something else out where you're like, oh, we're, we're not sure either. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it comes down to like, you know, the really high level consumer oriented test at the end where you, you just try it and you go, this tastes good. And like one thing I, I, I mentioned in advance, I, I used to do the show called The Beer Diaries. Yeah. I traveled around um, largely Texas and Colorado interviewing brewers. And so that was an incredible education for me, talking to people who have been successful. And a lot of what I'm doing is inspired by that. So specifically to this point, what I learned from almost all the people I spoke to, all these, all these brewers, they're all like, you know, we all thought this would be the big hit, but this was, it's a different beer. And then, and then when we got that big hit, we got like chained by it and had to like pursue it forever. So. You know, we, and I, I kind of thought, well, if you don't really know what's going to be successful, if you really put all this sort of value in this one perfect recipe, it doesn't really matter because you don't know if that one's going to be successful. You can put all the effort in the world into it, but then this other, you know, redheaded stepchild recipe suddenly will be the big hit, and you're making you're making a, a fruit beer for the rest of your life. Which, if you want to do, is cool. But if you right. don't want to be like, I know guys that make fruit beers and they squeeze a lot of limes. <laughs> There's these mead guys that, that like I know that do t like thousands and thousands. You get a machine and everything else, but yeah. like, oh man, I just want you get locked in. So we rotate, you know, we, it's, for me, it's like the recipe is an evolving thing. And then once you kind of get it, you do lock it in. But you, not until you've, like, brew pub's great. It's a trial. Like I can, I have customers, they try it. If they don't like it, it's not a big seller. I'm like, ah, oh, that one's gone. Make a new one. And they, they, it, I don't feel like I feel the branding is the place more than the beers. That that's interesting, right? Because it, so much of the beer, and I've been saying this more and more these days, but the the beer that we're having, it's nice when it's in the glass, but where we're drinking it is oh, is huge. better as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, we were at uh, so for this this conference, yeah. uh, we were at uh, Common Crown. Yeah. Uh, last night, which just had this really fun sort yeah. of, you know, laid back tap room. Again, this warehouse industrial space. Yeah. There's a lot of thought into the tap room as well, where you can tell that people just like they enjoy hanging out there. Oh yeah, and the fact that you have that sort of almost like little patio space inside the building overlooking the brewing equipment. It's yeah. like, hey, that I'm in a brewery. You know, that, that's that's the unique thing for any of us local brewers that you have. You know, you being able to like emphasize you're making it here. Like a lot of people still don't get like when they go to a place called the something brew house that it's not, it can, it doesn't have to have a, like may not be a brewery that sort of tricking you in a way. Yeah. So I think for, for us, it's, it's, it's fun to be able to kind of, like you said, be there around the equipment and drink the stuff and there it's been made 20 feet away. I talk to a lot of brewers and, and a lot of brewery owners and it, it's even still rare today where somebody goes right from brewing school into, uh, into working for a brewery and it, you've had a longer career uh, doing a, a variety yes. of different things, yeah. um, you know, notably uh, video game design. Yeah, well I started in medicine, I was a medical doctor, a family okay. physician for a couple of years. Um, but I was always uh, my hobby. I mean, medicine's always, great, but like yeah, it's, but you yeah, know, video like video games. games. Come on, like yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's going to get to your medical. No, 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 no. But well, so, but, but yeah, I, I, the story's always funny because I and we started doing medicine. Like you know, that's what you 
did. Like, you go to school, like, it was a good in school, so I, yeah. I did that, and I wanted to do it. I, I enjoyed it. But, well, yeah, so video games was fun. Like, video games was, that was a passion, um, and I kind of realized that, like, it, you know, it's good and bad to create your, your passion, turn your passion into your, into your career. But, yeah, I did that for almost 20 years, a company called BioWare, uh, based up in Edmonton, founded there with two other friends from medical school. Quite big, like it grew to hundreds and hundreds of people. We were we were bought by Electronic Arts, the guys okay. from McMadden and all that, yeah. all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, I kind of lived. I lived the dream already of like we literally went from like the three of us to we had fifteen hundred employees across the world and seven studios at the end of it all. And at that point, I pulled the ripcord. I was living in Austin, and I was like, I was a uh, like just. It was really cool. Austin was Austin was a little bit like what I'm just describing here. What about Edmonton? There were like four or five breweries, like Live Oak, Independence, yeah, a few guys, and then and then these new ones started popping up. And so that was fun. Like I, my friends goes, oh, you gotta go by this guy. I lived I saw on the edge of town. He goes, God, there's a cool place called Jester King. And you show up there, and there's no one there. Like this right. is like and this was like this was years ago, right? And so and I got to meet all these guys when they were. Um, all starting up, and, and you know, you, I didn't have that much to do, so I'd go hang out in their tap rooms and chit chat, and and lots of lots of great people. And I realized, brewing people are fun. Yeah. Like they're really good people, really really salt of the earth, but also the amount the amount of brewers help each other, and it's a, it seems like a really fun thing to do. And I was kind of looking for another career, which sounds weird, but I was still I wasn't retirement age quite yet, and I'm like, well, I'm gonna try something else. And I started doing the show, but then halfway through, it actually happened at Funkworks when I was talking to. I think it's Brad and Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. And I was chatting with them and, and I kind of like, they told me their story and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Cause I think, I think it was Gordon was designing mountain bike frames. He's mm -hmm. an engineer. It's, I'm like super tangential. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'd love to try it. Like not, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have one of those moments that goes, I can do that. I was like, that's why I call the blind enthusiasm is like, like that moment of like, uh, I'm going to try it. And I didn't realize, like, I didn't fully think it through, but when I got back to Edmonton, that's why I looked and went, man, I've been to these places that are like, like there's tons of breweries, there's a beer scene. And you get back to Edmonton, there's a, there's a few good breweries, but that's it. It's way underserved. And if it, and it has moved to where the rest of the world is, you've got this great, great market. And if you get there early enough, you got, you got your spot. And you got there early enough. Like, yeah, you yeah, think, I think so, so. Oh, at this yeah, point. Yeah. I mean, where do you see it going from mm. here? Yeah, like everywhere else, like 10 to 20 breweries. And then yeah. the challenge is, the interesting thing I'm finding is talking to people in the business um, from big places, like down, down in Southern California, like you're hearing more and more about places going under. I had a friend, or going under, guy, or guys making this decision. Like one of the guys, um, uh, I, a couple of the guys I've interviewed are saying, yeah, you know, we were growing and growing and then it just flattened. And, yeah. and now the competition, either you're like, you're deciding, hey, I'm going to, live this life of like modest sized brewery and crank away and, and, and you make money at it but you're not you're not going to grow a giant empire um for me i already did that so i'm like well that sounds appealing like i like the this is like my my biggest objective was to have a brewery i could ride my bike to and <laughs> and so i've achieved that goal and uh now it's just time time to make it fun and work and and like i don't have aspirations to do more than the brew pub 15 1500 barrels maybe okay. and and then the the um in the, in, the, in the monolith, so our, our barrel aging facility, just by virtue of the process, you're not doing more than a couple, couple thousand barrels a year. So yeah. I don't want to have a big industrial brewery and be cranking beer. That's not my objective. My objective is to have this, carve out this neat little niche, making really, really high-end boutique beers for, for people that like, like and also like foodies and beer, beer people, hopefully be a place where it's worth visiting. And that, 
that's the thing. I think when 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 so many people open up today, it's okay. Here's our IPA. Here's our stout. Here's our and it's sort of this one size fits all tap room. I mean, you you yeah. had the benefit of traveling around, but then there's obviously something uh, about the way that you operate where you were very deliberate in having high end food or appealing to yep. the foodies yep. and launching with a barrel program right away yep. and you know having. I mean, most people have to pivot to that at some other point. Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate. I mean, like, because I was able to, like, I kind of joke that I I started my brewery at the 10-year point, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of, like, exactly to what you said. is like the folks I met, they would work towards, they'd, they'd have a, the vision in the future, and they go, I want to have a barrel program. They kind of meander their way there because it's, it's hard to get there. Um, and so I thought, like, I just thought there was an opportunity in the space we were to jump into it, um, and and yeah, and it's working. I mean, the restaurant and the, the brewery are cranking right now, and it's going good. So, province like uh, Montreal um, or even Quebec, uh, you know, yeah, when you're in that area, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, cities and, and, and provinces, and um, even going out to Vancouver, um, uh, there's been other parts of the country that have had, I don't know, a, a more robust beer scene for a long. Oh yeah, yeah. What was it about Alberta that it's taken a while to to jumpstart? And, and I should point out that you're the previous executive director of the the Small Brewers Guild here. Exactly. So you have I'm not just asking you as a brewer, but as oh, someone yeah. who's been on there the was forefront of this. One really, really precise thing. Like, okay. It, it was remarkable. So somewhere along the way, um, uh, on the sort of like the licensing for a brewery, the manufacturer license you, every brewer has to get, they said you had to have a five thousand hectoliter minimum. So so forty five hundred barrel you're yeah. like that price is that's a that's a million dollar investment yeah. you're like it's it they basically and, and no one really i mean i'd love to know, go back into them figure out who actually got this on the books and why because what it really did was it just it kind of capped our brewing business to a few like larger breweries that were established and, and and make good beer but no one else could get in because you'd be like well and then there's a big debate. Well, do you have to make 4,500 barrels or do you have to? And well, we say, okay, the capacity to make that. Even the capacity to make that, you had to. Basically. You'd still have to have a big system. Yeah. And the, yeah. And You'd have to tanks. show that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. And so then, so like I remember specifically, like it was a December, man, probably four years ago, the rule got, like they just kind of said, hey, yeah, we're moving that rule. Because we, we were, we'd poke them. We, like, what, what, was there a push among? Oh, yeah. There's a push among a lot of the guys who want to start up. Like, there's a, like we actually had a, a whole push into the ton of fronts. Like, across, um, the, like, one the challenge Alberta had, that was one of many sort of, I would say, fairly antiquated laws. Like, there's lots of, like, like, we have some good ones and some bad ones. Like, we can direct distribute. We don't need distributors. Like, there's no three-tier system here. Um, but we... But you know, there's things like oh, you, you, there's no tied houses. Like there's, like there's a there's, and then other provinces start doing it. So BC and and Ontario are like, well, we're like, and we all start pushing all these at the yeah. as individual breweries, and then the association, and finally they start pulling the laws off of modernizing. Which I gotta give them hats off. They've done a great job, and they can point to the fact that like this thing, this this one rule about the limits just got pulled. And there's this little lag phase, like like six months, then suddenly it just went kaboom, and breweries like every month just started popping up. Like guys, like there were a bunch of people that wanted to do it, and then I, it's kind of weird, but we also had like a downturn in the oil business. Yeah. Um, so and that kind of happened similar timing, and the economics of it, where folks with ha- maybe had money, like could invest in something that could grow, and and also people that would maybe be working because oil jobs are super lucrative. They didn't have work. They're like, well, maybe I'll start a brewery, and suddenly. We've got like 75 breweries. And this was, I, when I was the director of the association about four years ago, there were like eight. 
And I, I mean, so it's been, it's it was been pretty easy to manage that at that point. Oh yeah. yeah like the webpage was yeah. easy to maintain. Like every once in a while I go on the webpage, I'll, I'll add another logo. Yeah. And there was a big, now it's like, and I mean, and I know the people in the AGLC, the liquor, so liquor board of the province really well. And they're like, they have this board and they, it's like, it's insane. That's incredible. And what's, and what's exciting, it's kind of like unbridled enthusiasm, optimism for the brewing business. Um, and the belief that there's a business here. And that one thing that's really kooky about Alberta, so Alberta's a really weird province relative to the rest of Canada because we have no restriction on anyone coming in to sell beer. So in other words, anyone can find an agent and sell beer here. There's no um, board that approves it. There's no um, complicated documentation. It's like a 60-buck registration fee, and boom, you're selling beer. It has huh. to go through the provincial um, warehouse, like the, the, the government warehouse. That's where they mark take up the tax, but so it's kind of like the U.S. where you have like these giant shelves, but the rest of Canada is very limited. Like you have like three hundred different SKUs. Like you, you know, here mm -hmm. we have like the one Sherbrooke, the one amazing liquor store. Usually has about fifteen hundred different beers from all over the world. I would take brewers when they come visit and show them the store, and they're like, "I've never seen this many beers in one place." Yeah, and like an amazing selection too, like great stuff. Like so, we've always had this incredible opportunity to try good beers. But we could never make them because there was like now we're all like, the restrictions. Yeah, now we're now and that kind of I think really seeded the the sort of the, the, the garden so to speak for that. Because there was demand for it, obviously oh, a hugely, store like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, huge demand. Like that's a big beer drinker, a lot of beer drinkers. We have four and a half million people in the province, or four point two, um, and there's a lot of beer sold. That's an interesting. Yeah, so. I, <sighs> I'm curious about uh, one other thing in that uh, later on this summer, uh, marijuana is going to become legal uh, uh, in, in this general, uh, or yeah. In, yeah, in the on the whole, yeah, yeah, everywhere, yeah. Um, how do you prepare for something like that? Are you calling a lot of folks in Oregon and Washington and Colorado and being like, hey? So I, my theory, and, and it's just from what I've observed, I believe there already are an awful lot of people using marijuana now. <laughs> yeah, it's a good and, and, You know, yeah. and so, and just, yeah, just from people I know and all. And so I'm like, I don't know, I think it's actually less of a, like a sea change than people realize, at least from a consumption perspective. Because I mean, one of the things, yeah, obviously it's like, okay, what's my, my, my relaxer of choice? Is it beer or is it marijuana? And um, the interesting thing, like I'm actually talking at a marijuana conference, funny enough, in Edmonton next two weeks from now, um, to talk about like the experience of the, the beer business, because one of the things that's 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 I think it, like to very back to a point you made much earlier. One of the big I think differences between them is I don't I don't think it's like having marijuana is necessarily as social. Nor is it you go to like I'm going to go to the tap room and and smoke some weed. Like it's not like like you know what I mean. Like it, like I think the beer business has this really inherent advantage to the fact of it's inherently social. Something you do with friends, mm -hmm. it's going out. If you're allowed to do it in a public space, like again, like I mean, we could all eat brownies in a in a in a sure. cafe, and they'd be like, "That's kind of weird," <laughs> yeah. or, but because you can't smoke because it's because of smoking laws. So sure. So I think there's a I think there's really like again from a pure consumption, yeah, beer may drop, but I don't think it'll change like the the bar or the restaurant business relative to um, what we do. So it's it's gonna be interesting though. Like I think because it's like everyone's like all super excited and the, the biggest thing for us here locally that was interesting too is the province said they're going to do all online sales so that's actually a big a big a big thing because I think a lot of the businesses probably got a real shock through their system because they're probably hoping to go direct but now they now they have to kind of worry about storefronts and I don't know it's an interesting I I, I have I, I just for me it's kind of weird because I'm not worried about like total volume I'm just worried about creating great experiences and good beer so right. I don't worry about like hey my volume might drop two percent be like well whatever 
Would you try to combine the two experiences? No. No? No. I've, we've been asked. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, it's funny because I know people have been really... I just don't... I don't... Yeah, I don't... I, I just... I want to... I'm kind of old school when I want with my with the brewery stuff and the restaurant stuff. And um, I, I guarantee... I mean, people have and people are going to. But mm-hmm. it's like... I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's a good result or not. It'll be interesting to to follow along, and I, I plan on keeping tabs on this just because yeah. the brewing industry here, uh, number of breweries, is really starting to, to to pop and come alive. And now, as as the marijuana industry yeah. comes alive, it, you guys are sort of coming up together. Um, you know, we were talking oh, yeah. yesterday um, uh, at at this party that uh, beer actually kind of helped pave the way for. Uh, legalized marijuana in states like uh, Oregon and Colorado and you know, Vermont and other places where there's a beer culture yeah, and yeah. it was part of the culture and it was like okay well that's acceptable people yeah. you know it it was different than just you know Bud Miller Coors yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of thing yeah and I think I think the thing with that that's interesting is it's almost the realization that like okay when you loosen up some of these antiquated laws <clears throat> like it doesn't turn into like Mad Max world right you know what I mean <laughs> like it's it's like because like I almost imagine like oh if we let people drink on the patio like here in Alberta we had this like we, we had this rule like you had to have a one like one meter spot yard high hard fence like clear delineating yourself from public in drinking you can't drink on the street you got to drink yeah. behind this hard fence and I built a hard fence and then they changed the rules so you just need like a even a soft little rope fence which is like oh cool that's looser like so I think as we slowly go they realize oh you know like you know what a hard fence isn't really needed. Now we go with a soft fence. Eventually, they might say, "You know what? It's okay if you have a like a to-go cup and walk down the street with a beer because you're not gonna like run in front of cars and start fights and like you know." It's it's, so, some people will. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, yeah they, I'm friends with some pretty depends, deviant depends, people, but yeah, depends where you are. Right. <laughs> but generally, like like again, we always look at the like I always look at the culture of European the European beer culture because so much they didn't have the prohibition bump and then it's so much older than ours. Um, that, that just it's way more relaxed and I, I have a feeling marijuana will kind of go that way too um, uh, and it's like I said I think way pe- people have no idea how many people actually use it right now because mm-hmm. I think it's already like it's just going to change like where they buy it sure the and how they buy it yeah. And, yeah and they won't be sneaking around so I just wanted to talk about like you know Alberta in, in general where I mean there's the malting companies are based here. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of great raw material. Oh, yeah. uh, that that's coming out of of this general area. Maybe not so much uh, hops wise. Um, it's starting to catch up a little bit. We don't quite. We have. We probably. We, we historically hops have been grown here um, yeah. years ago, and and they, I think I think it's going to be one of those things. It's almost like when like British Columbia has a big wine scene. They discovered certain grapes work well there. So maybe certain varieties or certain tiles types of hop, where it's a dwarf hop or whatever, whatever, whatever type of hops will work. Uh, malt barley uh, up the wazoo, um, and yeah, we have two two of the big malting companies here, and they were starting in a bunch of uh, craft malters, which is super cool because the problem with the big craft, the big guys is they, they're just base malt, so we don't actually have any specialty that comes from the province. Um, yeah. But now the small guys. Like Redshed, Origin, there's a, like Hogarth. There's, a, there's probably gonna be a, like it's really cool because all of a sudden it's like malting and like like and because like, those beers growing and I mean like I remember like 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 a lot of the U.S. guys are using like these um, craft maltsters as yeah, well. Yeah, Valley Malt out in Massachusetts and yeah, got, yeah there's Colorado, there's, Jersey. There's, there's a Mecca yeah. in Oregon, I think. Yeah, a new one just opened up in San Francisco um, as well. So yeah, I mean they're they're, they're cool. popping up here. Yeah, but having these maltsters and having the raw ingredients grown here. Um, how have you seen that? Does that impact 
the drinker's perception? Does that impact the, the brewer's perception? I, I was joking with um, here with Chris Shepard from Beer Marketers Insights. We were on the yeah, same play yeah. yesterday, and I said, you know, we're going to like, the bread basket, as it were. And I said, I'm going to drink a ton of Scotch ale. Um, and I don't know why, but I just had it in my mind when we got to Common Crown. I was like, and I hadn't seen a Scotch ale on tap in forever. And I walk into Common Crown last night, and a Scotch ale. I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, it's, but is there... Do you think that there's a trend towards maltier beers? I mean, I was drinking IPAs last night, but I was drinking everything last yeah, night. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, we all were. Yeah, we, we all were. were. I'm a little we gravelly. Made, we made poor decisions last yeah, night. Yeah. Knowing that we're getting up early. Um, <laughs> yeah, for context, we're uh, sitting yeah, in my know, hotel room I, I think, at 9 o'clock in the morning here, yes, uh, exactly. nursing, carefully gingering, uh, uh, gingerly nursing cups of coffee and yeah, tea. And tea, yeah. exactly. No, um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, 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 it's really funny because, like, I, I think it kind of plays a little into, like, the... You know, like the extreme trendiness of some like haze beers and juice beers, and I think it. I think malt is it can be another trend, like because people are like like people so much forget about malt, and malt doesn't have to be sweet, right? Like, like I think that's one of the sort of misconceptions is like we do a, a few malty beers, but we really, really, really work hard to dry them out, so you're mm -hmm. actually getting like a really nice crisp character with a really malty beer. Like again, the beer when your beer mentioned bro is like that. I was like. I usually don't like dark beers. They're too sweet. This one, like, and that's the point. And and so yeah, I, I, I and it's really what's funny for me right now is what's great about the business is it's all fair game. Like you know, you can come out with anything under the sun, and people will try it. And, sure. And um, one point earlier that I just want to touch on that was really interesting about the the province itself has done a really good job of tying back together the barley production with the growers. And so one really crazy thing that is coming from that is we have all these supporters out on like old farmers driving combines that love the Alberta brewing industry. So it's a really, and that's actually, I think, and now there's all these little small town breweries opening up because it's like, there's a huge amount of pride around making the ingredient that's being used in the beer that you're drinking at, at your little local pub. Um, and so that's been a really fun thing. It's like being the, the sort of like, sort of virtuous circle of the agriculture has actually got people on the agriculture side excited about the product and and that's actually created these like you know it's getting grown because you typically don't imagine like as soon as you leave the, the urban urban urbane urban yeah. confines people are drinking Coors Light right but that's actually no longer true my my old uncle is like super excited about how he was he was he uh, he was he took the grain down to Alex which is where RAR is and he knew that the Edgerton guys like little, these are tiny towns of 300 people he's super excited they're making his beer and he can't wait to try it and it's like and it's these and these are guys that would not be excited about that stuff normally. So it's really it, it changes the perception, I think, of the general populace. Right, and, and it's a sense of place, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't know if that exists. It doesn't exist everywhere um, with beer, no. but where you're so tied to it here, um, I, I mean, and that's got to be part of you know selling the story of beer as well, right? Oh yeah, like there's there's guys. I mean, there's some of the breweries here that that's their 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 whole modus operandi like they really are about like celebrating the farm celebrating the beer tying it all together and that's and that's cool i mean it because it, it, it's also true like like that's the thing is if it wasn't true it'd be like oh that's just a shtick but it's actually it's true and so it's it's really cool i want to kind of bring this back full circle now because um you know there's not often that we have uh brewery folks that have a restaurant attached to them uh on the show uh just yet it's still yeah, on the yeah. show but how do you go ahead how, how do you go about uh planning out pairings ah so that's interesting um because we kind of like so so our restaurant's called Bira, 
B-I-E-R-A, and, okay. and the brewery's blind enthusiasm. They're kind of mushed together. And so we have the head brewers, and we have the head chef. And so when we started, they both kind of went in their individual lanes and kind of drove they off. They got into their own corners. And yeah, well, because it was like, it, it was just getting things off the ground. It was crazy. So we made a bunch of beers, we made a bunch of food, and then... And then now, so then we said, okay, now we're, we've done that. We were actually, everything's getting made. We're chugging ahead. Now let's, so what we do with pairing is we basically, when we have a beer kind of near completion, like when we're just about to put it on tap, we'll literally have a meeting with the kitchen. We'll sit down um, and, and, and have the kitchen try it. And so, uh, and the funny thing, the good, and the reason this works is the kitchen tries it, the head chef and the brewer, they talk and they try some stuff. And over the next about week, they kind of figure out pairings. So we put specials out okay. on pairings. And this works for us because our kitchen menu is kind of like a rotating list as well. So our our kitchen, like our chef, is continually changing dishes. So there's stuff. It's 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 stuff is rotating very very fast. And so it, so you know if you don't if she doesn't like well she'll try a beer and go hey this is really nice um, like lemon zesty lemonness I'm gonna go make something and I'll figure something out. So it's now going both directions. Sometimes the beer leads it. Sometimes the food leads it. Sometimes we come out with a, like she comes out with a dish. And everyone's like, oh, I know. We had the, like, you know, we, we did one of the beers, our Acme Red is the butcher shop. It's called Acme. And so the butcher, like, likes hoppy beers made from a red ale. They put it in a sausage. You have the sausage and the beer together. That's like, cool. We have hop we have hop sorbets. We have, like, hop sorbets. And, and we actually have um, a hop-infused sort of, like, drinks. So, like, not, not like, alcoholic, but non-alcoholic drinks, like little spritzers. Um, so it's, like, it's, it's really a mentality, and you have to have both sides talking and now that now that we're all kind of in a nice kind of process so it's really just get everyone together try the stuff like there's worse things in life than trying beer and food together for sure but can, can the kitchen start to dictate what or, or or sort of push the brewers into a certain direction as well of like you know hey later on this summer you know something's going to be coming into you know we, into season has, has that happened we yet? haven't done that that and that so that's maybe a next level we actually in our other facility um uh, in the in sort of our our big warehouse there with the, the barrel aging, we have a small pilot, like a 2.5 um, or two barrel pilot, and that's the idea. So if like we say, hey, I got all this lavender, let's make a lavender beer and make a lavender dessert. So the dessert's going to be like really lemony, and so you know we don't want something dark. Do something light and zingy that'll go well with the lavender, and we'll have a theme of lavender throughout. Yeah. So that that is something we'll do once that smaller system. It's like you don't want to like for us like. You know, ten hectoliters. You don't want to do a ten hectoliter experiment <laughs> because, yeah, because like, <laughs> you can, but you want to have some confidence that it's going to go well. Um, so, yeah, and that's the other piece. Is like, and it's really cool because I think, and you know, when we, we have board, you know, we do, we haven't quite gotten to the point where the menu says what pairings, but that's going to, and not everything's going to pair. Like stuff, stuff, some beers are just generally good with food. So, mm -hmm. um, a lot of lighter. I mean, generally, the, one of the rules would be like lighter, lighter beers. You know, not overly hoppy, but you can get some nice hop character. Uh, like I said, we, we, we tend to go a little bit towards uh, European hops, so you don't get quite the same aggressiveness. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a, it's it's a, I'd say we're just starting the journey of food and beer together, and but it's exciting to start driving that. And as far as your barrel program, yeah. what uh, what barrels do you guys favor? Um, so we have we have two barrel programs. So um, above the restaurant and. Uh, Brewery on the at the pub is a small what we call a clean barrel space. So that's going to be flavor barrels like rum, whiskey, that sort of thing, wine. Like I think we're not going to like we'll probably do even though it's kind of like 
I almost would call it cliche, like, hey, the bourbon barrel bourbon aged, yeah. aged imperial stouts. But I think we're also going to do a lot of wine barrel, like white white and red, um, because then we can take the wine barrels and move them over, after we've used them for flavor, move them over to the other parrot program. So the other program, we, we built a 17,000-foot warehouse with four barrel chambers, of each wow. with, with temperature control and humidity control, um, and with a 20 hectoliter, so 18, 17 barrel brew house. We have a cool ship on the third floor. Um, we had to crane it in. It's like on a like literally crane. It's so we're being kind of quiet. You guys went all out. Yeah. Oh yeah, that one's pretty nutty. That one's they're both nutty, but that one's sort of extra nutty. And right now, um, so Doug, Doug, my. Um, so Rob's the head brewer at, he was the brewer at Yukon, one of the notable Canadian breweries. Rob um, is the brew pub brewer. Doug worked at a place called Trudeau Diab in Quebec, mm -hmm. um, also Cantillon. So he spent one season at Cantillon. Oh, so, also, yeah. Yeah, oh well, no, and so that's when, and he's, and he, and so, he, you know, he, he, and that's, and, you know, and he's, and he's, his whole life, he's a young guy, but he's spent his whole life kind of, since he was quite shockingly young, learning about fermentation and, and so he did, the, he did the old brewing program here in, in town. He was already in the brewing industry before that. So, um, and so he's running that program. And, and we're going to, it's going to, we don't, we're still figuring it out. It sounds weird, but like, even with his experience, like we have, we have a bunch of like, um, a thousand, thousand barrel, uh, not a thousand barrel, thousand liters, that'd be 10 barrel casks. So big sideways ones. We're probably gonna go sideways and maybe have some fooders, but and then largest format barrels like 350 liter, which would be almost 100 gallon, I guess 90 gallon barrels. Like, and and it depends what's available. So a lot of times you're like, like we're talking a lot with barrel brokers and they're like, what do you got available? Like, a, and something really exciting comes up, and they go, but you need a container, and you're like, ooh, that's 90 barrels. And that's like, because <laughs> like, then then the other piece of math you have to do is like with our system, there's like, like that's like. Uh, That'd be like, like six for one brew, six barrels, and so you're like, oh, okay, ninety divided by six—that's a lot of brews. And, yeah. And I mean, spontaneous season, so we'll do spontaneous, of course. And we're pretty—it's pretty good here. We have. I was gonna—I was gonna ask you have the climate for yeah, it. We or, do. We, yeah, we do. And it's—and it's really funny because it can actually extend. Like we're hoping, we're, we're hoping maybe to treat, like we're not quite done that brewery yet, but we may be able to catch the end of this, the season. But then we're gonna do like you know, pitched fermentations, mixed mixed fermentation, but also some natural fermentations, like you know, taking leave like flower petals and that sort of stuff and and that that whole program that's like a gigantic interesting experiment um sort of scary because the production coming out of there like it's like this like a little tiny trickle right for the first first little bit we actually got invited to dunham has a festival in montreal uh or south of montreal in august which we got invited to so we're going to that and we need to have something for that so that, okay and so it's not gonna be something super complex it's gonna be only about six months but you know that's that's kind of like this fence post in our future that frightens us because we have great respect for those guys they're super super good and there's a ton of other amazing breweries there like lots of really amazing breweries are like uh oh if we, you know you want to you want your first kind of beer in that vein to be kind of cool so and what's the festival um dunham dunham brewing um like i don't know what the name of it is okay. but dunham like like modern times is there oxbow mm -hmm. is there uh twin sales and like there's a whole bunch of guys i think Cantillon. I'm not sure if they're not there or not. Well, a couple of couple of the European guys are there. Right. It like, sounds like this is just something I should have on the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be pretty crazy. Like it's and they're 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 in the beautiful like southern part of Quebec. So mm -hmm. there's a really nice rural little oh, town. Absolutely. They have a, yeah. and they're a really awesome brewery. Those guys are Dunham like Brasserie Dunham. They're killer. So yeah, no, I have yeah. to. I I haven't been yet. I have to. I have to get there. Um, as we as we start to wrap up, I I'm curious about what is your hope for beer. Ah, that's interesting. That's a great. I would like to see um, an appreciation 
for beer being able to like be a, like almost a beverage for every occasion um, and it's kind of going there so I would say that not that we're in fighting with wine but running a restaurant which has finer food you, you always have this weird sort of tension around um, oh this isn't beer food this is wine food sometimes we get beer fans coming in there and say that and we're like no it actually is beer food in Europe they eat this with beer and it's not always wine and it's more the the beer being really you know, like, like the concept of a fine beer, not an expensive beer, because I think the greatest thing about beer is it's not expensive. Like, mm-hmm. It's not like the ridiculousness of wine, but like a really fine, well-made beer, something that, you know, someone really appreciates as a gift or a home, you know, home housewarming or whatever. Like the idea that beer, um, you know, it's, it's an every person's drink, but it also can be quite special. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my, and I think we're headed there. I mean, the craft, the craft movement, I mean, the one, the one thing I think that fights it got in the craft movement is a bit like, like it's like the trendiness and the kitschiness of, all right, now we got burgers and fries in our beer. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> like it's like how crazy can you like? And I, and I respect the guys that could pull that stuff off. And I, and, but it's like, like people always ask, are you doing like, are you gonna make like a haze beer? It's like no, but some of our beers are quite hazy, and they may actually be the one we actually made one that was really similar. We're like inadvertently, we knew what was gonna be hazy. We didn't say hey, this is gonna be a haze beer, but it was like lots of wheat and. You know, like it's, it's just when you that, released it, did people just start lining up at six a.m. outside of the brewery because nah, word got out? It wasn't one. Of the, no, <laughs> we don't have that. See, I think I think Put that in a sticker can. No, yeah, yeah that, that that's that, you need that kind of like like that that the audience for that, right? And I don't think I think people have to realize that that's not like necessarily a reproducible thing anywhere, but where it's happening. Like like I don't think you could you'd ever have a situation of anyone lining up at six in the morning to get beers in Edmonton. I mean, maybe that's someday an aspiration as well but maybe nine in the morning like don't come at six like there'll be plenty like yeah like that whole stuff like it's like it's like it's amazing in a way but it's also kind of kind of kind of distorts people's realities greg zeschuk of blind enthusiasm in edmonton Yes. Right, I got that. Perfect. All of that right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tongue twister, especially when you've been drinking. That's why yeah, I learned well, that blind enthusiasm after drinking too much. Like, oh, yes, terrible yes, yes, blind yes. enthusiasm. Um, thanks for being here. I My really pleasure. appreciate yeah. it. Um, if you want to know more about uh, the brewery, yeah. listeners, go to blindenthusiasm.ca. And if you want to learn more about beer and brewing, craftbeerandbrewing.com is where you want to go. Uh, Please subscribe to the magazine. Uh, Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beerandbrewing.com or follow the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with an all new episode. Cheers. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, the country's only not-for-profit membership organization dedicated to promoting the community of homebrewers and empowering homebrewers to make the best beer in the world. Brew with the AHA at homebrewersassociation.org. And remember, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.